Welcome to the Research Reimagine podcast, brought to you by Nottingham Trent University. I'm your host, Helen Darby-Dowman, and I'll be inviting some of NTU's brightest minds to explore how their research is helping us to deepen our understanding of the world. From online addictions to transgender rights and sleep disorders, listen as we discuss some of society's most pressing challenges and uncover some of the ways our research is making a difference. It's natural to feel a little bit low after the festive season. And for many of us, January brings short days, icy temperatures and a long wait for payday. It's no surprise that the most depressing day is in January. And when people around you are feeling down too, it can be really hard to shake the January blues. In today's episode, we're going to be talking to Associate Professor Dr Daria Kuss, a chartered psychologist who is going to be giving us some helpful tips to survive January and enjoy a brighter start to the year. Happy New Year, Daria. Thank you so much for joining us today. Well, Happy New Year to you and thank you for having me. So firstly, let's talk about the January blues. What are they? And and is it a real thing? Well, the January blues is something that people can experience at the beginning of the new year, after all the festivities of Christmas have finished, uh, once they are actually coming back to work, once their holidays have finished, and people might actually think that, you know, getting back to everyday life might be a little bit miserable. Uh, There's not so much to do, not so much nice things to, to look forward to, and for that reason, some people can feel a little bit moody, a little bit irritable, uh, and may need some nice things in their lives to pick themselves up again. There's a lot of talk around this time of year about seasonal affective disorder. Can you tell us a little bit more about that and how it affects us? Seasonal affective disorder is a condition that affects a number of people, especially during the winter months, where because of the limited daylight, because of it being dark and cold out there, people may feel a little bit more miserable. They may experience symptoms traditionally associated with depression, uh, low mood, low energy, overeating, undereating, a lot of those sorts of things that many of us would have would experience during the winter months. It's um, a bit of an extreme hibernation mode. Um, Seasonal affective disorder, however, for some people can be particularly severe in such a way that they may require support in order to feel better. Um, The kind of support that is available is cognitive behavioral therapy, talking therapies. For some individuals, medication may be required. And of course, there are also some home remedies that you can use in order to improve how you're feeling to increase your energy levels. Um, but recent research has connected vitamin D to seas- or the lack of vitamin D to seasonal affective disorder. Vitamin D is the sunshine hormone. It's produced by our bodies when we're exposed to sunlight. And given that in the wintertime, especially in this country, there's very limited sunlight, um, we are often, all of us are often really uh, having limited amounts of vitamin D. So supplementation in the form of uh, additional vitamin D taken as food supplements can be helpful. And then, of course, um, recommendations are to try and engage positively with your outside environment. Connect with other people. Be grateful. You can learn. Learn new skills. This is also something that will help you feel better in uh, in the winter period, um, and of course, also trying to be as as healthy as you can in terms of uh, the food, the nutrition that you're having, um, and the rest periods that you're getting. So, with the the cost of living crisis, I mean, is that going to impact more of this January blues feeling? 
I think the cost of living crisis, unfortunately, will impact people in this country detrimentally, especially within the winter period. However, uh, there are also positives to the situation. We can think about the fact that actually this has been a Christmas, the first Christmas without restrictions. We have been able to be together with our friends and families without actually having to think about how many people we're going to see. We are not restricted in terms of getting together with people. And really, from a social connection point of view, from a psychological point of view, these social connections are fundamental to our mental health and well-being. So we can always positively reframe the situation we find ourselves in. And from that point of view, uh, the cost of living crisis perhaps loses some of its significance. We see so much now about mental health and mental health awareness in the media, on social media, and that awareness is just there so much more. Is there something about setting positive and achievable New Year's resolutions that will help with our mental and physical well-being throughout the year? Positive and achievable resolutions for the year ahead are certainly going to be very beneficial for our mental health and well-being. And those kinds of resolutions are can be very fundamental resolutions. Uh, connection with the world around you, with your social environment is one of the fundamental things. Making time in your diary to see your friends, to speak to family members, even though you might be tired, even though you've got too much work to do. I think this is one of the key things that we can do to make ourselves feel better humans, we need uh, social connection. Uh, in addition to this, what will be very important as a resolution is to ensure that we make time for ourselves, that we take time out of our busy days to ensure that we can reconnect with ourselves, have some time for solitude, perhaps, being able to reflect on your day, be able to reflect on your week, spend time with your partner, being able to reconnect with them as well, and reconnecting with your body as well, being active, going for walks, going for a run, whatever you like to do, being active to be, uh, to be able to feel your body and to be able to really go back to the fundamentals, our social well-being, our physical well-being, and this will certainly improve our mental health uh, and emotional well-being as well. I always think that people, when they set New Year's resolutions, often they're thinking about January. They're not thinking about July, August, September, November. It is, it, can it be a very much a now thing rather than a a long-term resolution? January tends to be the month where a lot of the new resolutions come up. Um, and some people might find it very difficult to engage with all of the re resolutions within that time period. Um, what I would recommend is to set resolutions, small, tiny new habits that may be formed throughout the year. Um, and one of the things that you can ensure that this is working more successfully is to set yourself nice things to look forward to throughout the entire year. That may be catch-ups with your friends, for example. That may be a nice holiday that you're looking forward to. Small little things like that are definitely going to improve how you're feeling and how you're going to set, uh, set into the new year as well. Blue Monday is supposedly the saddest day of the year um, and it typically falls on the third Monday in January. So this year it's uh, the 16th. Um, is there any science to back this up? Like what, what makes the third Monday in January the, the saddest day of the year? Well, Blue Monday has really been conceived as a sort of a gimmick by a British travel company. 
uh, probably around 20 years ago now. So there isn't really any scientific evidence to back this up. However, when we're thinking about that time of the year, we can think about uh, how the seasons are changing, the, uh, the limited effects that light or the lack of light might have on how we're feeling. Um, it being dark, we probably have gained a little bit of weight over the Christmas period, indulging in nice food and nice drinks. And for all of those reasons, January in, gen uh, in general, so not necessarily the third Monday in January, um, but January in general may indeed be a bit of a miserable month. It's a difficult month for many people. They set themselves resolutions, which not always uh, go to plan, which of course may be problematic. Uh, there is a lot of pressure people put on themselves and all of these reasons may contribute to people feeling a little bit miserable, a little bit down, having lower energy and really not necessarily feeling the way that they would want to feel. And so some of these factors could be making life really, really difficult for people, um, especially if they do set New Year's resolutions. And as you've just said, you know, we put sort of high expectations on ourselves. Um, research has shown that about half of all adults make New Year's resolutions, but only, well, less than 10% actually keep them up. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? The new year is always a good time to make new re uh, resolutions, especially when you've got an opportunity to reflect on the previous year, the sorts of things you've achieved, the sorts of things you set out to do and how you've managed to, to do actually do them. Now, if your new year's resolutions are unrealistic, which unfortunately they very often are, then unfortunately you are likely going to be disappointed. So it, if I set myself the resolution to run a marathon next year, and I'm definitely not a runner, then I will find it really difficult to do that. Well, what I would recommend for people to do is to perhaps create tiny habits, as has been recommended by some researchers, where rather than setting a, a massive goal like running a full marathon, perhaps I just want to go for more regular walks in the beginning, and then I may gradually be able to increase the amount of time that I'm spending being active in nature. And being able to using these tiny habits rather than massive goals is significantly more realistic. We will have the rewarding moments, which are really crucial to keep the, the positive things going in our lives and perhaps eventually I will actually be able to run that marathon after all. You know, we get to New Year, we've all got to set a New Year's resolution You're with a group of people on New Year's Eve and people get a bit stumped and they go, all right, I'll do this. And they do the same thing year on year. Is that quite a common situation? I think setting New Year's resolutions is a thing that society generally does, especially when you're surrounded by other people doing that. You're surrounded by media telling you this is what you're supposed to be doing. You're supposed to get fit and healthy, look after yourself after a period of overindulgence, of being perhaps a little bit too comfortable in front of the television, etc. Um, I think what is good about this is the fact that if you've got this social environment where together with your family and friends you're setting resolutions and you can hold each other accountable, then you are actually more likely to be able to, to meet those resolutions. So perhaps if you were to set small resolutions together, then this is actually a good thing for you. I know one of your areas of research, Dario, is online behaviour. Um, and as you've mentioned, um, some of our listeners may be looking to cut down on stuff um, and perhaps spending less time on, on our phones and on social media. I mean, why do we struggle so much 
with our phones and with social media to cut back on those things. Well, using technology, using social media, using our smartphones, this has uh, become a habitual. We very often use them in any kind of moment where we've got time to ourselves. If we're waiting in a queue for a bus, waiting in a queue in a supermarket, etc., we'll pick up our phones, check our emails, check our messages. So any kind of moment needs to be used nowadays. So at least we've got the kind of an impression. Um, and if over time these behaviors become habituated, then that's just simply what you do. This is how you lead your life. And it may become a little bit difficult to dehabitualize yourself, to try and actually change your behaviors. But it's not impossible. There are a number of things that you can do in order to perhaps use the technology a little bit less. Um, mindful awareness of your environment is certainly something that I would encourage people to have. Uh, rather than looking at your phone, staring at your phone, scrolling through your social media channels, perhaps you want to have a look around. Perhaps you want to see uh, what you can notice, different colors, different people. You notice the world around you. And this is actually a very healthy thing that you can do. Plus, of course, you can have uh, a number of recommendations in terms of how to use technology. Um, one of the things that I would say is to put the phone away when you're working, when you're at home. If you have it on your desk, then, of course, we know from research this may already inhibit your attention. It's going to detrimentally impact your attention, even if you're not actually actively using it. Um, put it in your pocket, put it in your bag, put it away out of sight, out of mind. It actually works. Uh, a lot of those very small recommendations can make a big difference to your behaviors and how you're feeling as a consequence. I would also recommend having uh, technology-free times during the day. So, for example, dinner times where the whole family puts their phones away and you can actually have a proper conversation for once. I think, you know, the practice of having traditional conversations is something that unfortunately is often neglected in the home environment. Um, and the final thing would be to have technology-free zones in the house. So, for example, the bedroom. So rather than scrolling through your phone at night when you're trying to go to sleep, perhaps put that phone in a different room and instead read a book. And you will see that with those small changes in life, you know, your mental health and well-being can be significantly improved. So you mentioned, you know, the importance of perhaps doing it as a, as a family or making sure that we have those periods of time where we take our phones away. Um, Going back a little bit to the whole New Year's resolution and setting new sort of targets for yourself, is there quite an importance in doing that with other people um, and kind of getting that that secondary kind of backup of somebody else is doing it with you? Because I, I know myself, if I try and eat healthily and my husband's sitting there with a Mars bar, it's incredibly difficult. I'm very, very quickly tempted. Is there something around that that we should be looking at doing things together? Doing things together is definitely going to make things significantly easier. So if you and your family decide together that you want to eat healthy, um, hopefully you'll be able to convince your family members to do that, then this is going to make life easier because it means you don't have to cook separately for yourself and for them as well. You don't have to cook two different meals. Plus, of course, temptation will increase if they're eating cake in front of you and you're eating your, your apples. So, of course, yes, if you were to make decisions together, it's going to be um, significantly easier to stick by them. Uh, and also, if you want to ditch any unhealthy behavior, such as smoking, for example, if you quit 
quit smoking, but your partner isn't willing to do that, this is again going to really lead to temptation and it's going to make it more difficult for you. But if you've got a body like this, somebody who shares uh, your resolutions and who's willing to support you with your resolutions, this is going to make the resolution significantly more achievable and much more realistic. The same holds for being active, going to the gym, having a gym buddy, for example, you can hold uh, each other accountable and this may lead to more successful results. Do you keep New Year's resolutions yourself? I think my main resolution for the new year is really to have a a healthy balance in life, a work-life balance where I can work what I need to do, need to do the things that I need to do, but at the same time, I'm able to spend enough time with family and friends, spend time in nature in order to recharge, in order to re-energize. And I think this is something that I would recommend for for everybody to do because, you know, we are uh, living in a world that is a very hectic world, lots of things to do at all times and slowing down, being able to be a little bit more mindful, being grateful for the things that we have in life. All of those things will certainly contribute to uh, a better a better year. Have you got some top tips for those people that haven't yet set New Year's resolutions or perhaps have and don't really feel they're accomplishing them? Top tips would be to make sure the resolutions are realistic, create tiny habits rather than large resolutions, make sure that you've got somebody to hold you accountable for those resolutions and reward yourself for the small changes that you can implement in your behavior so you're likely to engage in those changes again. Dario, thank you so much for your time. Um, I I hope now that uh, we can all set some more realistic targets, have a much happier winter period, so they get rid of those January blues. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. If you'd like to find out more about Daria's work, you can find her on Twitter at Dr underscore Cuss, and you can find out more in the episode description. You've been listening to the Research Reimagine podcast by Nottingham Trent University. For all of the latest news from the research community at NTU, follow us on Twitter at NTU underscore research or sign up to our research newsletter by visiting ntu.ac.uk forward slash research. Thanks for listening.